Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. I'm delighted to say my first guest is a man who has plenty to say about the game and hopes to have plenty to say about the game for many years to come, hopefully with more raids to Royal Ascot. His first this year after 37 years with a licence comes in the shape of Enzo's lad who will run in the King's Stand and then all being well will run in the Diamond Jubilee Stakes as well. It has been an extraordinary and oftentimes challenging journey for my first guest this morning, as he's about to tell you. I'm delighted to welcome to the Luck on Sunday studio, Michael Pittman. Michael, good morning. Yeah, good morning, mate. Good morning to all the people out there watching. Yeah. Now, you've been landed in England here for a good few days now. It's been an amazing week for you. Lots of attention. How are you enjoying it? Um, yeah, it, it has been good. I mean, it's... Um, it's in some ways it's been overwhelming the attention we're getting because I mean we've, let's face it we've got a 50 to 60 to one shot but obviously my journey to get here um, is what's the interesting thing and, and I've been very open about it all the way through because I hope that in some way I give other people their encouragement to press on as well. Let's take it all the way back to, to the beginning you've been training for nearly four decades now but you didn't really have any any background or established background in horse racing did you? No except Picking up tickets when I was a little kid and um, probably betting too much when I was slightly older, you know. Um, but um, no, I was always keen on racing, obviously, but um, I never worked for anybody, never earned $1 working in a stable or anything like that. I was a reasonably gifted young golfer, um, played a lot of sport. Um, that's what mum and dad encouraged us to do. There were six children in the family. And um, but when I met my wife Diane, um, we decided that we'd have a go horse training. And I, I had my license for only one month, and, and when I got my license, other trainers said I got it in a week mixed raffle. I should never have got a license, and they're probably right to be honest. Um, but I was given a chance because of my sporting background and other things. And um, but a month into it, I had a really bad accident and spent 26 consecutive weeks in hospital. Got hit by a car. And just tell us what the the upshot of that accident yeah. was. <laughs> I, I, I now have an artificial leg below limb, I uh, have a wired up ankle, and your ankle's a lot like your wrist, you know, you've got a lot of rotation, I've got very little rotation in my ankle at all, and I still have a steel rod in, in my thigh, my right thigh, so um, as I've said to a couple of people, I'm the clown that goes to the airport and all the bells, whistles and sirens go off and they have to frisk me every single time, and I hate it to be honest with you, but that's just part and parcel of my life, you know. You can smile about it now, and it's, it's mm. several decades on, but you, you've lived with this prosthetic limb for, as I say, nearly, nearly 40 years. At that time, uh, as a young man, how, how dispiriting was it? Um, well, because I was there for 20-odd 20, tw 20 weeks before I lost my limb, you know, they tried to save it. A, a surgeon actually came out from Scotland to, to um, do all the specialist work on me, and I had untold... Um, Operations. Probably the one thing that I do look back on, um, and, and I hope people understand what I'm going to say here, is that I was probably really very, very lucky, apart from what I had, that I never ended up getting AIDS because that's about the time when things like that started to happen with blood transfusions, and I had about six or seven blood transfusions as well. So I think I, I dodged a bullet there, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. It seems to me that every time something really significant has happened in your life that would fell a lot of people, you've just used it to, to spur yourself forward. Is, is that something from your childhood? Were you always someone who could sort of pick yourself up when you'd taken a knock? Well, being with five boys and a girl in the family um, and being sports-minded, I mean, we're always providing half the rugby team, half the <laughs> soccer team, half the cricket team in the neighbourhood that we were. And, um, we're, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't like running second on a race course, and I certainly don't want to run second in life itself, you know. Um, 
I'm a cup half full person, and um, yeah, I'm very competitive. Yeah, I guess that's what keeps me going. So tell me about the early part of your your training career, and it's not just you, is it? It's it, mm. it's definitely you and Diane, your wife. I've met Diane; she's a, mm. she's a wonderful woman, and she's been by your side all all the way. So tell tell us about the early early days and how much of a, a struggle it was to get to where you wanted to get to. When, when we started out, we started out with about six seven horses, and we even even though I'd never worked, I, I don't think I'd even trained a winner at that stage. But it, because of of my golf and my relationships and everything like that, I had a couple of really nice owners who gave me horses to train. Um, but when I had my accident, I was in a wheelchair for a good while, obviously to get used to the leg and everything like that. Um, but we struggled for probably two or three seasons. Everybody said you can't train winners from a wheelchair. Um, but we just started to win the odd race or two, and we went to a place called um, Blenheim, and um, we won the trainers' prize there over a three-day carnival, beat a lot of good trainers, Bruce Marsh, who trained in Singapore, Paddy Bussett and the likes of them. And then all of a sudden, I'm not going to say it, 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 it didn't help me, but it certainly didn't worry me, the fact that I was a person as a wheelchair at, at wheelchair or on an artificial leg, and I managed to overcome it. So I might have got a little bit more publicity than I should have, and I think that's what helped us, yeah. So even now, you, you reflect on that as a, an advantage of some sort? I think we turned a, a, a disadvantage into an advantage. Certainly, certainly um, once we started to train winners, it was always the person who, you know, just like you said, you've overcome a bit of difficulty along the way, and, and people react well to that. I know they do. So you started to do well, but you never expanded the stable beyond 35 or 40 horses. Why was that? I couldn't handle it. That's as simple as that. I tried and it just drove me nuts, you know. It's just, just too many. We, we're, we're always around about the 35 to 40. We might get up to 45 at Christmas time because we do race a lot at Christmas time. Um, when I got to 40, like a lot of blokes in life, I wondered whether I was going in the right direction. So I actually went to Australia. Worst thing I ever did, probably lost 50 grand in 12 months. Um, set us right back. But I had uh, a wife and two young children at that stage and um, we weren't progressing the way I wanted to. Um, financially, I guess, is probably the biggest factor. Um, so I went to Australia, didn't work out. Um, we came home, but we'd specialised in getting horses off other trainers and doing well with them. And it's only in the last six or seven years that we've actually gone out and bought horses. For where we are in the Trainers Premiership in New Zealand, we'd have bought the least amount of horses of any of the top 20 trainers for a long time. Yeah. The lure of Australia is, I guess, obvious, that the bigger money and the sort of high-profile tracks and the idea that you could make an impact in, in what's a, a massive horse racing jurisdiction now, one that's on the up. But when I look at pictures of you training, I think you couldn't wish for a more idyllic setup. And New Zealand's such a beautiful country, and you go and train on the beach and, and what mm. have you. It just looks it, it looks dreamy in, in many respects. Yeah, I, I, we, we've actually trained over 20 winners in Australia. We've won a couple of listed races in Australia as well. Um, but I guess we know our niche market, we know where we're best placed and we're happy where we are in the South Island. Yep. And look at that, who wouldn't, who wouldn't love waking up to this every morning? Yeah, that's, uh, uh, it's, that's not far. We can work six horses in an hour and a half from our place. That's at a be uh, beach called Spencer Park. And the black horse, uh, you won't have noticed there, that's a horse I hope to bring here next year uh, I dream ahead who won the July Cup. Yeah. The black horse that you mentioned, the very dark horse the there in the middle, middle. Yeah. he's by Dream Ahead and he's a horse called Sensei. That's right, yeah. Uh, Sensei is, is named for your son Johnny, who That's you right. lost in tragic circumstances in, 
in, yeah. in 2013. And, and the idea was that you and, and Johnny and, and your son Matthew, your other son Matthew, were, were all going to train together. Just, just tell me a little bit about, about Johnny's life. Yeah, Johnny, Johnny was a really gifted sports person. Um, he played rugby league in the New Zealand University's World Cup. Um, we actually wanted to pull the horse Pitbull because on a league field, he was not much bigger than me, but on a league field he was very tough and he was very gifted. Um, and they had a move called Pitbull, which obviously focused around him. Um, he represented New Zealand in judo and he went to Samoa. Um, he only ever fought in two taekwondo tournaments in Australia and he won both of them. He trained in Japan for the best part of four or five weeks under one of the world's leading judo instructors and I think there was 30-odd people in the class and um, he was the only person that never had a black belt and, and the, the sensei, the instructor, at the end of it took off his black belt and gave it to my son, which we still have, you know, it's quite, quite sentimental, quite, 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 yeah, it's quite touching what he did and it meant a lot to my son, but my son always suffered from depression. He had done from, since he was 14 and he took his own life at 28. And this is still relatively recent, it's tw 2013. Yeah. And I, I've seen what a close-knit family you are and a close-knit knit family unit. But, Michael, you, you've, all, you've wanted to talk about... Oh, I've been very open about it, yeah. ..Johnny and, yeah. and Johnny taking his own life because you want to raise awareness for it. Just, mm. just tell us a little bit about some of the work you've done in New Zealand for that. Um, well, one of the big things, um, uh, Canterbury Rugby League, um, when my son played for both Hornby and Rickland clubs, you know, and um, every season, when those two meet, they play for the Johnny Pittman Memorial Trophy, and we give a prize to the winning team plus the player of the days. And they get great publicity on the sideline. They have half a dozen people with um, banners on you know, um, to say it is all right to say you know, please or yes or help or whatever it says, because um, there's a lot of sporting people, in particular high achievers, do suffer from depression. You know, we all put on a great face at times. But inwardly, there's a lot of people suffering that no one knows about, you know. And um, um, I've spoken to various people about it, and people have rung me, whatever. But I, I mean, you know, we're not happy with what Johnny did, but he did it for his own personal reasons. But you know, you know I wish he hadn't, obviously, you know. But it was his way out of life, I guess. Yeah. Many people, when they're, they're dealing with somebody taking their own life, particularly somebody close to them, talk about their their anger directed at that person. I, I don't sense that oh, from you. No, no, I got no anger. Huh. I had a lot of help myself. I mean, I got pretty depressed about it. I'm, I'm near to that stage, obviously, but um, I was asked by... Um, I went to shrink and, uh, a few times, and he said to me one day, I want you to give me a pen and a piece of paper, and he said, I want you to write down the good things that your son did and the, and the poor things or the bad things. Well, I mean, I couldn't write down. There was one column to the left and one column to the right, and the good column was full of different things. I couldn't write one bad thing down, you know. My son was a really good boy, yeah. How are you enabling his, his memory, in a sense, to to live on through the through the training enterprise? Well, I, I, we make no secret of the fact that he's a big part of it. And fortunately, um, um, we had a lot of help from the racing industry gathered around us and everything like that. And one thing we did, we changed our colours when Matthew came on board. Originally, it was supposed to be a three-way partnership. Johnny was also um, was one unit of getting a double degree in marketing and economics. So we were going to have a three-way partnership 
of my two boys. Johnny was going to do the syndication side of it, where we are going to upgrade, get slightly better horses. Matthew was going to work, and I was going to steer the ship, basically, you know. That's what fathers do to their sons. <laughs> and anyway, when he passed away, we asked the uh, thoroughbred racing, which is like Weatherby's here type of thing, and we ended up putting a silver fern on, which people will see at Ascot, and the stalk goes down to a letter J. So Johnny is with us every day we go to the races. And, and it's lovely that they they enabled that for yep. you, for and, you and, as well. I got a new set of colours just made for for here, and it's the same thing. We've got the the um, um, people here in England that made them for us. They've done that for us as well. So we've got a brand new set of colours for Ascot, and they've got the letter J on them as well. Yeah. So it's Sensei, the horse that's named for Johnny, yes. and hopefully Sensei will come to Ascot next year. But yeah. he's got a Pathfinder, yeah. and the Pathfinder mm. is is Enzo's lad, who you hope to run in the King Stand and the Diamond Jubilee. How happy are you with him? How's he been training? Oh, look, we're really happy. He went to Hong Kong and he failed in Hong Kong, but he doesn't go right-handed, and I know Ascot's right-handed, but it's a straight run, so it doesn't matter what leg he gets on, you know. Um, he prefers good tracks, and, and fortunately in the last sort of 24 hours, it looks like we're going to get a reasonable track. Um, but he has, he has run an exceptional time when he won at, at, um, at the Telegraph in January. He, he, um, he carried top weight of 58 and gave away six kilos to most of the horses. And he ran um, 1.695, broke 1.7. Well, I mean, I know we've got fast clocks in New Zealand, and we run phenomenal times at times, but I can't recall any other horse breaking 1.7. So, um, yeah, that's him in the white cap just behind the leader. The horse I hope to bring here is the horse out wide in the red cap. And the horse out wide in the red cap is travelling rather well at this stage and yeah, looks like it, the best horse in the yeah, race. Well, he covered a lot of territory, but, but I mean... Uh, 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 You've got to remember, there's a few Group 1 winners in behind this race. Bostonian that's gone to um, Brisbane and won both days. He's in the blue and white. And, um, yeah, he's a big, strong horse, my horse. So you look at the field and you've got two exceptional world-class yeah. sprinters in there in Batash and Blue Points and one that's not far away in Mab's Cross. What are your realistic aspirations on Tuesday to start with? Yeah, well, I, I obviously hope um, he goes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I hope he wins. Of course, I do. I'd be stupid to sit here and say anything different. But I, I'm realistic enough to know that this is, you know, the horse deserves to be here. Let's face it. He's won two Group Ones in New Zealand. We paid fifteen thousand for him. He's won three hundred odd thousand, close to four hundred thousand New Zealand dollars. So he's well in front on the on the lead, you know the ledger side of it. The owners are here for a good time as well. Most of the owners, are, 95% of the, the, the syndicate are going to be here in, in regards to their percentage shares. I mean, they're going to lap it all up. This is Royal Ascot. This ain't just a picnic meeting out in the bush. This is the best meeting of the year on any any jurisdiction, you know. And they've come across with their eyes wide open. And uh, it, it's as much about being here as it is about the horse, I guess. And, I mean, if we can run a good, honest race, I mean, I'd love to run top six. Mm -hmm. There's been... Champions from all over the world have contested races at Ascot and not run top six. If we can run the top six, he'll certainly get a pass mark. And how long are we going to enjoy you being here in, in the UK, do you think? Well, fortunately for us, I, yeah, I'll say it because I, I despise winter racing in New Zealand. I hate it. <laughs> There's no money. The, the, the weather's rubbish. Um, you've got to travel and you're racing on tracks like this. Um, so we're not busy at home. We've actually closed up shop in the winter at home from, say, May right through to August. Mm -hmm. So I can be here as long as I like, you know, and, and um, I'm hoping to stay 
um, for the July Cup because the guys at Newmarket, Adrian Beaumont and all the Newmarket people have been so good for me. I, I mean, I hope to stay. I hope, I hope I'm worthy of staying here to be starting with, but I hope to stay here for the July Cup on the 13th of uh, July. We'd like to keep you for a little yeah, while, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the most recent part of this story is, is, is perhaps um, the most extraordinary one insofar as that you've had to, to endure cancer mm. in the last year and a half. Um, and the good news came as you landed at the drop-off point at Los Angeles Airport. Yeah, I mean, I've had a, if you said I've had a roller coaster ride, I've certainly had it, you know. Um, but I was dumb, you know. I, I should have um, heeded all the warning signs that I got two years ago. I, I drive my own truck. I've got two trucks. I've got a six and a ten horse truck. Um, and I used to drive the truck everywhere. I used to be 30 kilograms heavier than I am now. And, you know, I, this is a Sunday morning show, so we won't go into too much details, but I had a few men problems that I should have noticed, you know, and I ignored them because blokes are blokes, you know. And anyway, I, st I got diagnosed with diabetes, um, and they thought that's what I was losing my weight, everything like that. And as I'm going out the, the door, the doctor said to me, oh, we'd better send you in for a colonoscopy as well. Now, if I'd stepped out of the door two seconds quicker, he may not have said that to me. Um, I always remember the way he said it. And I thought, oh, yeah, I suppose I'd better go. Well, I put it off, and I put that off, and I finally went and had a colonoscopy. And um, I was awake while I, while I did it, and uh, the girl said, look, I'm really sorry to tell you, but there's quite a large lump of cancer. And I looked at her and I said, look, lady, and I said, go away and get another doctor. I want a second opinion. And they said, unfortunately for you, we do not have second opinions when it comes to this. So I'm diagnosed with a rather large lump of cancer. And um, they told me that I'd better bring Matthew and Diane. And I, honestly, I thought I'd got six weeks to live, you know. I've, I know a lot of people that have died of cancer, and it's a quick downhill, you know, if you've got it. And I had it in the bowel. And the surgeon said to me, you're going to have a tough 12 months ahead of you, but we're confident that we can get it right. So... I carried on with my life. I had an operation on August the 8th. Uh, and I was, that was a Monday. I was supposed to come out on the Friday. I got an infection. I never got out until the 25th of October. On the 26th of October, dummy me, I jumped on a plane and went to the Cox Plate because I had a runner against Winks. On the following Wednesday, I'm back in hospital again. Um, had another infection in my bowel. Um, and I was there for probably a fort, oh, I think it was about a fortnight after that. So, I mean, I know what hospitals look like. Look like. So I went all through Christmas and we won, you know, group one races and everything like that. And adrenaline, racing's a great game. You know that, Nick. Racing, you win races, you keep going. We've won a lot of races, so it never worried me. And then, then I came to Hong Kong, came to here, and I had to go home. Unfortunately, Jane Chapel Holmes has been so good to me, it doesn't matter. So I flew home for this um, operation. Quarter past two, they wheel me in, knock me out, and they say to my wife, Diane, see you about half past six, you'll be in recovery. Quarter to four, I wake up and I'm thinking, that's not right. I'm not supposed to be awake, and I've got a bag on me now, which I'm open about. And I felt down, and I've still got my colostomy bag. I'm thinking, what, what's happening, you know? And the surgeon comes in. I'm really sorry, but we found found another um, polyp in your bowel, so we've had to call it off. And I said, how serious is that? And he said, well, I'm not going to say it's cancer, but we can't rule it out. Um, so I, I, I didn't sleep much, to be honest with you. Um, I shed a few tears along the way, my wife and son did as well because, you know, cancer is one of those things, if you get it you can clear it up as you know yourself, you know, and, and, and but if it comes back, it's curtained um, so we finally got an email at Los Angeles Airport on the way through that um, the tests they did showed that it was benign, it was not cancerous, but honestly if they'd told me I've got two weeks to live, 
at Los Angeles Airport, I'd still be here. Of course I would. <laughs> As I said before, this is Royal Ascot. <laughs> you were going to be here come hell or high water. That's exactly way. right. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is this is a crowning glory for me to be here. Yeah. But once you've had the taste of it once, that's not no, it, Michael. No, no, no. You can't. You 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 can't. Conk out on us right now. You, right. You, you've come this far. You've got to be back here next year with Sensei. Yeah, that's right. When you've had, you've had good filet mignon, you don't go back to fish and chips, do you? You, you certainly don't. <laughs> no, no. You certainly don't. How, how important do you think horse racing is for you in terms of sustaining you through these incredibly difficult times? Do you think if you were doing anything else, do you think if you'd been a pro golfer or you think if you'd been running a store or doing any other job, do you think it would have been able to sustain you in the same way that, no, that no, working with horses? No, are? definitely not. I mean, my wife's a massive... She makes me get up and get out of bed. I mean, I, I went on a cruise for 18 days. When I came home, I could hardly get out of bed. I was absolutely worn out, you know. And my, my wife put me on a strict diet, and that helped me. You know? And she, she's, she's, she's the driving force behind me. There's no doubt about that. But at the same token, I've got some really good owners that we train for, mm-hmm. um, and I feel uh, um, I have a commitment to them. I also feel, uh, and I'm sure people that know me will understand, I have a commitment to the public of New Zealand racing too because I'm a fairly public figure, um, trained a lot of winners. So you do get to the stage where, um, y- y- you know, the people that have shown you loyalty, you have to show it back to them. And, and um, I mean, that's why I'm doing this now, you know. I, I hope that other people will be encouraged by what Diane and Matthew and I and the owners are doing with Enzo's lad. And um, there'll be more and more horses come here. You must feel a lot of responsibility to a lot of people, Michael, because of your experiences and your profile. Responsibility to New Zealand racing. Mm. Responsibility to those who've, who've suffered tragedy in their lives like you have with the loss of Johnny. Responsibility to, to other people who've, who've suffered with, with bowel cancer like you have. And, and it strikes me you're always wanting to raise awareness for all those things. Is that, yeah. Do you find it e- easier in a way oh, to, I, I, to I don't do struggle. that? I don't struggle with it, Nick. I, I, as I say, I've been very open all the way through. Um, because, you know, um, there's something like 430 suicides a year in New Zealand and it gets forgotten about, you know. They, they, they go on and on, they have massive campaigns. And it's the same here probably, I'd imagine. Massive campaigns about people that get killed on the road. Well, suicide prevention is far more important in some ways. There's more people die at their own hand than they do on the roadways. And, but it seems to be just swept under the carpet a bit. Um, and I don't think it should be. I, th- I think the youth of today are under a lot of pressure. Um, I, I hate Facebook, to be quite honest, but I use it for my business. But I think Facebook has a lot to answer for. Sorry, guys, um, that run Facebook. But the youth of today, they know exactly where all their friends are. And if they don't get acknowledged by their friends, they do go into that dark hole. And my son was one of them, you know. Um, uh, I'm fully aware that uh, we're a little bit uh, like actors on the stage. And the show must go on. Mm. So I do, I do feel... That I do feel that responsibility, but 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 it's no it's no weight on my shoulders. We just carry on with what we're doing. But by by stripping away all the artifice and keeping it real, mm. you you can work your way through that because that is the complete antithesis of say Facebook, where everything's for show and it's yeah. not real, it's no. not authentic. No, I mean yeah, I, I mean um, there's no bigger. You know, people say to me, "Oh, you've had it tough," and everything like that. But I've been lucky enough. And I, I said a quote the other day, I've been on the best drug of all. Winning race is a fantastic experience. And, and if you ever, ever want to enjoy life, especially when you get to about 15, your children are off your hands, 
I mean, there's one thing they don't do here, they, they don't syndicate horses a lot. But you can, I, I was on television one day and I said, said to a fellow, we won the premiership, he said, oh, you know, racing's a tough game. And I said, yeah, but people have got to remember it is the sport of King's Hair. If someone gives me a dollar a day, I'll give them a share in a horse. And I did. It was the worst thing I ever did. I had 360 odd owners. Yeah. Uh, but it brought $36,500 up front. <laughs> we had a lot of fun, you know. But anybody can own a racehorse. And the day you win a race, even if you only own 1%, that's one of the biggest thrills you'll ever have in your life. And so say all of us, it really is. It is, yeah. Michael, I can't thank you enough for coming in this morning. I know you've got a busy schedule because you've got your, your cabbie lined up for the yeah, tour of London. Yeah, 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 I've got a cabbie lined up for a couple of hours. He's going to take me around London and show me all the sights. It's something that I've done before when I've gone overseas. So uh, those ca the cabbies know the area better than what I do. Well, it's great to see you. Thank you very much. No, no, Best of luck uh, next week. Yeah. We'll, we'll all be cheering you on. Yep. Thank Michael you, Pittman, who's Enzo's lad, runs in the Kingstand and the Diamond Jubilee. What an inspiration he is to us all. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai.